1: He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed.
3: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
1: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So
2: a funny thing happened on the way to part two of Sports Conspiracies. You may be able to tell that I was, uh, I, I was coming around to some of Brian Tui's. Ideas here. Uh, he makes some really good points. To this day, I don't believe I am fully persuaded, all the way to, you know, a hundred percent agree with all of all of Brian's beliefs. But he makes some incredibly compelling cases for at least several aspects of conspiracy in the world of sports.
1: Oh yeah, he certainly does. I think he may have convinced me pretty early. <laughs> I want to make a quick shout out to another podcast. If you finish listening to this episode and you want to learn more about this stuff, head on over to the Tenderfoot TV show Whistleblower. It's all about the NBA and the same kind of stuff that Brian Tui is talking about. Uh, just a very specific instance of it.
2: Yes, that is a that is a spot on shout out there. Uh, it's a it's a great series. Tune in after you check out this classic. Uh, And if you want to learn more uh, from the host, Tim Livingston, you can also check out uh, our interview
1: with him. That's right. It's all about Tim Donahue, another Tim. That's what the show's about.
2: It's a very Tim-rich
1: show, yes. (laughs) So many Tims. Here we go.
2: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now. Or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
1: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt Beat the Spread Frederick. And my name is Noel Boogie Down Brown. My
2: name is Ben. In lieu of a nickname, I picked up some uh, veggie straws that are cheddar (laughs) flavored. Bowling. (laughs) <laughs> and you are you. We hope that you also have a uh, a cool gambling or mafioso type nickname to attach yourself. I'm always a fan of uh calling somebody Two Hands, mm-hmm. Matt Two Hands, Frederick. I got them both. That just sounds so sketchy. Matty Six Hats. <laughs> Whoa!
3: At <laughs> yeah. the same time,
1: a number and a thing. <laughs> Mat- Mat- Matty Fresh Finger. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very hygienic. So, what okay. Does that mean? <laughs> well,
2: while we, while we ponder that, uh, let's go ahead and catch you up to speed. If you missed our previous episode, then stop what you're doing and go back and listen to that first, because this is part two of a two part series. In our previous episode, we begin an interview with uh, an expert on corruption. And conspiracy within the world of sports, a gentleman named Brian Tui. And he's, uh, written several books. Uh, he, we were fortunate enough to get some time with him and, uh, it was just too big for one episode. So now mm-hmm. we are returning and where we last left off. Can we get like a previously on lost thing, but with stuff they don't want you to know? Previously on stuff they don't want you to know. Perfect. Uh, previously we were we were exploring the relationship between organized crime and organized sports and that's the reason we're talking uh, <laughs> uh i think the weirdest thing we learned is that um due to the mob fixing boxing matches uh ultimately america became hooked on cable television
0: yeah
1: because you had to see it you had to see it in that moment, mm-hmm. it was extremely important that it was live. So I don't know, guys. Let's uh, you know, let's dispense with the preamble and get right
3: into the uh, the the good stuff.
2: When we talk about the. Fascination that people have with, uh, with sports. One of the things that, that we see, uh, tremendously popular today with the, with the rise of modern technology is the famous or infamous practice of fantasy leagues, fantasy football, for instance. Uh, so how are these fantasy league services like DraftKings or FanDuel altering the sports gambling market?
4: Well,
5: according to them, they're not gambling, first of all. So they're not affecting the gambling market at all because they have to live and breathe on that, in my opinion, lie that they're not gambling. (laughs) Um, And they've actually been kind of busted for that now. Now there's this whole upheaval really in that daily fantasy industry because a lot of states – because their ads are so ubiquitous and so in your face for so long early in last year's football season. You know, states finally woke up and said, well, what is this? Is is this gambling? Who, who's doing this? How much money is being made? And now that they looked into it, they said, holy cow, we kind of missed the boat on this stuff. Um, you know, it has changed the way people consume their sports. And really, uh, sports is what's keeping television, I think, alive. Oh, because it's the only thing that needs to be consumed alive. Everything else, you can DVR and watch it later. But sports, if you don't watch it live... You know you're gonna find out sooner or later before you get to come home and watch it you know unrecorded and by then you know it's too late anyway the excitement's gone out of it but daily fantasy sports has really fed into this notion that not only will people watch the games but they're going to be watching it in a new way because they're going to have a financial stake in these games and that's why i think sports gambling is so popular and why like the nfl's ratings are so high is because people are watching Because they have money of their own on the line in the outcome of the game, not only on the players, but on the teams and on the final score and whatever else you can bet on within these events. And without it, without that gambling end – and it's funny because the leagues know this, but they won't admit it – but without that gambling end, their ratings and their interest level would just plummet.
1: It it really starts coming into perspective when you think about all of the different sports being broadcast across so many different channels – at any time about how much money is just getting funneled in and throughout this. So many games. Like I said, I'm not a big sports guy, but
3: it blows my mind. There's always some game on and everyone that is really into it. They know exactly when their game's on and like people will fight over the TV and bars because there's game playing at the same exact
1: time. And it's just, you know,
2: and there's a new ESPN spinoff channel like every other week.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and the crazy thing is the, how dependent, like you said, these media companies are on these sports to to feed their advertising, right? Well, and it's not only that, but you have to remember
5: the television networks fund professional sports. You know, ESPN gives the NFL nearly $2 billion a year for Monday Night Football. I and mean, they spend $110 million on every Monday Night Football production just for the rights to that game. That's before they pay any broadcaster, cameraman, anything. They're paying $110 million, basically, uh, you know, big budget Hollywood movie every week just to broadcast the National Football League. And you can go through them all. I mean, CBS funds the NFL, NBC funds the NFL, Fox Sports funds the NFL, and without that $6 billion a year the NFL gets from television, the NFL would be in trouble if it didn't have it. And that goes the same with Major League Baseball, the NBA, and all the other leagues. They are really, in many ways, funded by television. And I think that's why this idea of the league fixing their own game isn't absurd because they need that television money to survive. Television needs the advertising revenue to basically pay the leagues to, you know, to afford to be able to broadcast those games. And so everybody can make a profit off it as long as the games are entertaining and exciting. And the leagues have the very real ability to manipulate the games while they're going on to keep them entertaining and exciting throughout the course of the game. So you're watching to the two-minute warning or to the final buzzer or into the ninth inning because they perhaps can manipulate these things to make sure that those exciting events take place.
1: Really quickly, I want to learn about the benefits of owning a, a big league team, any team. Like, let's say I'm just a guy that has a couple hundred million dollars. I want to own a team. Why would I want to do that?
5: It's a good question. First of all, they would have to let you in. You can't just buy a team because you want to. The other owners have to allow you into their little club. Okay. (laughs) So just because you have the money doesn't mean you're going to be welcomed in with open arms. Um, They have to accept you. But, you know, it's interesting because some owners actually, I believe, own teams almost as tax write-offs. And they don't care if the team wins or loses they use them as like a calling card to say, Hey, I own this team. Why don't you guys come up to my private box and we'll do some business while the game's going on. And I think other, especially long time owners like guys who, the guys who own the Bears, the McCaskey family, the Maras who own the Giants, the Rooney's who own the Steelers in the NFL, they've owned the teams really since the inception of the league and that's all they have. And so it's their lifeblood, these teams and these leagues. So, you know, it's, a new, the modern era owners, I think, are kind of buying into the leagues because they want the prestige and kind of the calling card that goes with owning the team. Some want them as tax write-offs, and some just have had the team so long that they know nothing else but this sport or this league.
1: And how how do those owners then function within the league itself, like within the NBA or the NFL? Do they have a say in like what goes down, how everything works?
5: Oh yeah, they own it. It's their league. That's what fans, I think another thing they don't understand is the owners own the league. It's theirs, it's their private company. And they can do with it what they want. It doesn't matter what other people say. Those people own it. I mean, and that's one of the proven conspiracies in sports, again, that shows what these owners can do. Back in the 1980s, Major League Baseball owners were, they felt, losing money on their league. And so they got together, to, <laughs> I forget how many teams there were in the league at the time, but the 30 owners of the Major League Baseball and the commissioner all sat down in a room together and decided, we're not going to pay for anybody else's free agents this year. We're going to all save money. We're going to cut salary costs. We're going to save money. Nobody signed anybody else's free agents. And to a man, the Major League Baseball owners stuck to that. It didn't matter if you owned the Yankees, you owned the Cubs, you owned the Royals, or you owned the Angels, to a man... They said, we're not going to pay for anybody else's free agents, and that's exactly what they did. And there were Hall of Fame guys, future Hall of Famers that became free agents that year and the following year and the year after that, and Major League Baseball still stuck to its guns. It's called collusion. It's, just, it's really a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Guys sitting in a room deciding this is what we're going to do. didn't matter if it affected wins. didn't matter if it affected losses, who won the World Series, who made the playoffs. They were there to save money and make money, and they did it. To such an extreme extent that the Major League Baseball Players Association sued them and won about $300 million from them because they made it so blatantly obvious. But the fact is, the owners got together in a room, made a decision, and stuck to it. And they have that sort of power and ability.
2: Now, Brian, the um, one of the interesting points that you raise in some of your work is something that, again, something that will surprise a lot of our listeners, I believe, which is uh, you say that the, the big four leagues – enjoy antitrust exemptions is that correct
5: well major league baseball mainly does and they have for a long time basically back to the i forget what it was it's like the 1920s if not before then congress for some reason gave them an antitrust exemption and although it's been challenged a couple times it's they've never lost it So they are legally allowed to be a monopoly and one of the few because in many ways, they weren't deemed to be interstate commerce for some reason, which nobody can really fully explain today. But that's the fact of the matter is Major League Baseball wasn't deemed to be interstate commerce. So therefore, they weren't really, you know, basically a monopoly for whatever reason. And so they were given this antitrust exemption and, you know, the NFL – And the NBA and the other leagues as well has kind of been awarded that too to a certain extent in order to negotiate the uh, television contracts that they have. So, I mean, they're all kind of almost legally allowed to be monopolies, and that allows them in many ways to operate in the way they do and also gives them a lot of authority. And in many ways, you know, Congress has always been – and even local governments have been very friendly with sports teams and leagues. And that's why you see so many, you know, cities bending over backwards to build these – Billionaire owners new stadiums when really tax money shouldn't be going to funding the new stadium because the city's not getting really a lot of benefit of it. It's the billionaire owner who is. So why isn't he forking over the money to build himself a new stadium?
3: We've got that uh, twofold here in Atlanta where like literally the former football stadium is right next to where they're building the bigger, badder, newer football stadium, and they're just going to tear the old one down, and
5: there's nothing wrong with it at all. Mm -hmm. No, and we have that, too. I mean, we have the same thing here in Milwaukee. I mean, the baseball stadium, yes, was dated, but they built the new one, Miller Park, right next to Old County Stadium, like in the parking lot. And now we got the same thing with the Milwaukee Bucks. They have a pretty decent arena, the Bradley Center, but yet that's not good enough for the new owners, so they demanded a new stadium, and for whatever reason, The people in Milwaukee said, sure, okay, we'll build you one despite the fact you guys have more than enough money to build your own. And so they're going to build it pretty much next door to the old one too. And that happens everywhere. I mean the Houston Astrodome is still standing. It actually is going to cost more money to to deconstruct it than it is to leave it standing where it is right now. But yet there it sits, and there's a new stadium pretty much right next door for the Astros.
1: Yeah, that's one of the one of the things I've been learning as I've been following the Atlanta Braves move to Cobb County here and it's crazy to see how much money from cities, from counties end up going in from taxpayers really to pay for all these new stadiums. And the stadiums in your book, you you mention stats where the stadiums doesn't matter how new they are, it doesn't seem to affect how the games are actually played and whether you win or lose.
5: Well, and the funny thing is, is it doesn't really affect the city that they're played in. And I mean, there's people way smarter than me, sports economists and such, who have done studies of, you know, what happens when a team leaves a city or what happens when a team arrives in a new city. And it doesn't really affect the economy of the city at all. It doesn't really affect the economy of the local businesses right near the new stadium or the old stadium at all. It just seems, you know, entertainment money gets spent on football or baseball or it gets spent on you know the opera or movies or some other form of entertainment if a team leaves i mean it doesn't really help a city to have a major league team yet that's always the pitch you know you have to be a major league city to be respected i guess in this country and therefore you have to have some sort of major league team i mean one of the best things i ever saw was on hbo sports real sports and there's this whole controversy over the marlin stadium in miami and the guy for HBO Sports was talking to one of the wigs for the Marlins. And he said, well, you know, who gets the money for ticket sales? And he's like, well, the Marlins do. And he's like, he asks, well, then, you know, who gets the money for the parking? Well, the Marlins do. Who gets, you know, money for when there's another event held in the Marlins stadium? Well, the Marlins do. And basically everything, all the money went to the Marlins. So at the end, the interviewer for HBO Sports said, well, what do the people in Miami get? And they, he said, well, they get Marlins baseball.
1: <laughs> like that
5: it was it was equated to all that money, but, you know, you get you get the honor of having the Miami Marlins play here. Wow, great, thanks. Despite the fact that you built the city out of about three hundred million dollars, great, thanks. Jeez.
2: Now this is um, this is a good spot for us to explore um, so, something else, like the other side of this. I, earlier, when we had asked, you know, why isn't this re- reported more often, then we, uh, you know, we learned that there is a vested interest inside of mainstream media. And we also learned that maybe when someone puts on their Steelers hat or their Braves hat or something or a Jersey that they're not thinking as critically as they could. Uh, but still, of course, there will always be skeptics. So w- what what do you have to say to uh the people who would who would allege that um this doesn't happen or this is somehow exaggerated and and how have the big 4 reacted to allegations of fixing
5: well they don't have to react to the allegations because nobody's making them really besides myself <laughs> oh boy <laughs> so you yeah. know they, they're kind of in the clear there um you know, I can talk to fans. It's funny. Even my own friends, it took a very long time to convince them that this was perhaps a very real situation within the major leagues, that games were being manipulated and fixed in various ways for various reasons. And, you know, if you're a true believer, it's like trying to tell somebody, you know, Santa Claus doesn't exist, you know, a kid. It's like, well, what do you mean? You know, they always have to get it in their head that this is a possibility and then start watching games with that kind of mindset And remind them that hey look this is a business their business is entertainment they're trying to entertain you now watch how they potentially are manipulating these games to do that and if you watch games with that mindset and watch how playoff series evolve and how these storylines evolve within the media about certain players and certain teams and you kind of put all that together I think then it can start to sink in that maybe there is something bigger going on behind the scenes to make certain outcomes happen because that's what they're promoting and it's amazing what they're promoting seems to always be coming true. So, I mean, I think it, you have to kind of put that nugget in their brain and you have to let it germinate and grow in there. It's just, it's not like you could point to a specific example and somebody's going to turn on a dime because a lot of times I can talk to people and say, Oh, think about this game or think about that game. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I mentioned something with the team they like in it, where their team might've fixed the game. Then they're like, Whoa, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> right. no. uh, uh-uh. And then I lose them. So it has to be something that's not totally personal to them, and then they can kind of go along with it. But once it becomes personal to them, then it's a different story.
2: And we'll pause there just for a moment. It's time for a word from our sponsor.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
4: No purchase necessary. BDW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Let's talk about an example from pretty recent times, 2007. The case of uh, former NBA um, referee Tim Donaghy, uh, where he was investigated by the FBI um, for what seemed like game fixing we'll get into it a little bit more but they ultimately did not pursue those particular charges and instead were looking more at wire fraud um, other kinds of fraud but um, just for listeners this guy was a referee and a lot of uh, sports experts to this day are pretty convinced that he was able to influence the course of the game and um, there was a gentleman you used quotes from in um, your book that talks about how he called him Elvis and he said he was the the master, because he could make calls that seemed legit, but ultimately kind of guided the course of the game. And I just want to hear your take on this case, and and how you think he was able to do that, and have it not be just clear as day that he was doing it.
5: Well, Donnie, he he was a, I think, a thirteen year veteran of the NBA when all this started taking place, and he was actually, I think, one of the top three rated officials in the NBA while he was supposedly involved in this whole betting scheme. And what people think he was doing was basically making more calls, more foul calls, and kind was of more obscure foul calls than the other officials, and they just assumed he was doing his job better, the league, supposedly, when in fact he was kind of doing this to influence the outcome of games. <laughs>
3: in the background, he was betting like – He was making bets on games that he officiated and winning more often than not,
1: correct?
5: Well, that's uh, that's where the whole gray area and the whole thing comes up and why he wasn't investigated for game fixing. Donahue claims he wasn't fixing games and he wasn't really betting on the games he officiated in. He claims he was working with this bookie he knew and giving him inside information based on his knowledge of the other officials' behavior and how the league really operated, which goes back to my idea of them manipulating their own games. And he was making money that way. The bookie claims Donahue he was pretty much outright fixing games, and the only time he really won money was on games Donny he was directly involved in. So it's kind of a he said he said situation, it, it, and my my bet is they're both right. <laughs> right. And, and that's my guess. But the fact is, is Donahue would probably still be officiating today had the you know FBI not being involved in a wiretap about some other organized crime and investigation where one of the guys said, hey, we have an NBA referee in our back pocket. Had that not occurred, Donahue wasn't suspected at all by the NBA for doing anything wrong. And really, I mean, there were some bettors, some real heavy bettors who bet NBA exclusively, kind of finding strange occurrences going on within Donahue's games. But I mean, there was nothing that was really public or anything that was really drawing a huge interest from a lot of people into what was going on. If it wasn't for that little slip of the tongue, probably none of this would have come out. And that's the scary part of it all, is it could have just happened, gone away, and nobody would have known about it. Because, again, my claim is that the sports media, that supposed watchdog for professional sports and college sports, doesn't do nearly enough investigative reporting or really even questioning the outcome of certain games and looking at the potentiality for game fixing within American sports because, it's again, if the FBI can't prove it, how is an investigative reporter going to prove it? And nobody wants to hear it. That's the other problem with sports and sports fans is they don't want to hear this sort of thing. They just want to be entertained and see these games transpire and just be entertained by it, just like they went to a movie or watched a TV show. That's all they really care about, and that's what the sports media panders to.
2: So, uh, speaking of the sports media, uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, slippery cases or murky cases for our listeners. Uh, Brian, our, our folks are going to, uh, hang, hang us by our toes. If we don't talk about FIFA, which is one of the most recent and, uh, most damning uh, scandals in recent times. What we're talking about specifically is uh, when the U.S. Department of Justice indicted 14 current and former FIFA officials and associates on charges of, and I quote, rampant, systemic and deep rooted corruption following a major inquiry by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and earlier you had mentioned some of the FBI documents uh and we know that we know that law enforcement has been uh investigating corruption in sports in the past uh and we also know that there is very strong evidence that US government agencies have in the past colluded with organized crime in in separate instances uh, could Could we explore uh, briefly why FIFA was indicted, but why these other, you know, the U.S.-based leagues uh, have not had more investigation?
5: That's a good question, because to be honest, I don't think anybody was more surprised than myself that it was the Americans that basically busted FIFA for what they were doing. (laughs) I, I mean, it really blew my mind, because there's a lot of kind of international organizations that are being been created based off these fixing scandals and such that have occurred in Europe and the Far East and other places around the world within soccer. And it doesn't seem like there's really any Americans involved in any of them. It's always kind of a European thing or South American thing. It doesn't seem like America gets involved and yet when this whole FIFA bribery scandal kind of came out and this corruption scandal came out, I I was shocked that it was the FBI and the Department of Justice that was the one that really went after FIFA because it didn't seem like they were interested in it at any time before the announcement came that they're going after them. So it really kind of surprised me. And it's not, it's interesting because, you know, FIFA, I think, (laughs) I really think the main reason the Americans went after FIFA was because we were mad we didn't corrupt them well enough. Believe it or not. Hmm. Because I think what happened was is, you know, Russia and it was cutter. Qatar, however you want to pronounce it, basically bribed FIFA to get the World Cup to come to those countries. And nobody knows w- why in God's green earth they would want to play a soccer tournament in the middle of the desert in the middle of the summer like they would in Qatar. <laughs> but when they paid so much money to FIFA, well, that's how they got it. And there were, America was in the running for both of those World Cups, and we lost out on it. And I think that's why the investigation took place is we kind of felt like we got screwed in a way. And so we started investigating and looking into it. And the fact is, is nobody's really surprised that there's corruption in FIFA. That We've known there's been corruption within FIFA for a very, very long time. It's just it's really hard to go after it. And I think that's the same reason it's hard to go after the NFL or the NBA or that sort of thing. Is It's really hard to pick this stuff apart and root it out because, you know, sports and the, like the Sports Bribery Act, That involves fixing games and investigating fixing games here in the United States. You know, is that really important compared to all the other things the FBI could be investigating and looking into? I mean, on the grand scale of things, you know, a fixed NFL game doesn't really mean that much to a lot of people. I mean, you know, as opposed to what happened why the FBI really kinda of quit investigating was the war on drugs was initiated and terrorism came up and all these other things that kinda of took precedence over looking into a fixed college basketball game. And I think that's the same with the FIFA thing is for the longest time nobody really cared because there was bigger fish to fry and then suddenly this became one of the bigger fish so they decided to finally go after it.
3: Another thing that's been in the news quite a bit lately, um, I mean, in the past as well, uh, just these high-profile doping programs that have been exposed, like the most recent one uh, was the Russian Olympic team. Um, why do you think that the general public and sports fans are less willing to believe that sports fixing is taking place when these programs are known to exist and – often be systematic and supported by officials, you know, for example, with the Russian Olympic team and people turning a blind eye. And, and do you see any similarity or differences in doping with the idea of sports fixing? Isn't it its own kind of sports fixing?
5: Well, they've also known that, you know, some of the guys who have been fixing like the soccer matches and stuff have been using performance enhancing drugs to get to the players.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
5: they use it as they're in. They provide the performance enhancing in drugs and then basically blackmail them once they provided it to them to get them to alter the outcome of games. I mean, that's one of the kind that are in.
3: I guess what I mean is, is like, what is the base level? Like, what? Like, well, why do people feel like they need to believe that everyone is on an equal playing field all the time when we know that performance enhancing, enhancing drugs are at play as well? You know, why is it such a well, stretch? Altering, it's
5: altering the outcome of games too. performance enhancing drugs. You know, I mean, we know if you look back and we know Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were hitting all those home runs because they were using some sort of steroids. Right. Yeah. We know Barry Bonds is doing the same thing. And that's altering the outcome of numerous games. Hundreds of games were altered because all of these players, those three and many, many more were using performance enhancing drugs in some way, shape or form. So, I mean, you know, you look at like you just take baseball. I mean, how many games, how many, you know, playoffs, how many World Series, how many outcomes were changed because some of the athletes were cheating by using drugs that they shouldn't have been using? And how many today NFL players are using drugs that they shouldn't be using? And how many games does that change the outcome of? I mean, and that's, that's I think, kind of getting to your question is, I mean, you know, people say, oh, you know, games aren't being fixed. that can't be happening yet. At the same time. Well, if these guys are using illegal, by the league standards, illegal performance enhancing drugs to play better, to be faster, stronger, jump further, score more, you know, runs, score more touchdowns, whatever it is, that's altering the outcome of the game. That's a manipulated, fixed game in some way, shape, or form. I mean, isn't it? I mean, it's not a legit game. It's not clean athletes against clean athletes doing their best to see who wins. There's some cheating going on involved, and it's, I guess it's just a matter of, you know, a personal opinion of what your scale of cheating you're willing to
4: accept or not accept.
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
4: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: So we have a uh, couple of uh, specific examples that we wanted to ask you about. And uh, Matt, you have one
1: uh, with the UFC, right? Oh, yeah. I was just reading uh, Vanderlei Silva. You know, a former Pride champion fought for the UFC for a time, he was alleging that he has, or he says at least, that he has proof that the UFC fixes fights. And I just wanted to see if you had seen anything or heard anything with evidence uh, to that statement.
5: Well, I had heard about Silva saying that. Um I haven't obviously seen what his evidence is, but would it shock me in any way, shape, or form? No, because if you look at boxing and the history of boxing and you see how incredibly corrupt boxing was, The UFC operates in exactly the same way. I mean, boxing, historically, there's a guy named Primo Carnera. Primo Carnera was a heavyweight champion back almost 100 years ago. But the fact of the matter is he was a construct of organized crime. He never fought in a legitimate fight except for one time when the mobsters thought he would win, he lost. But they fixed every fight he fought in all the way to and including the heavyweight championship of the world. They fixed every fight for him to win. And then once he won, they bet heavily against him in the next fight, had him fight a real contender. They made a bunch of money because he lost. (laughs) And they just let him go and he went to rot and he actually wound up in professional wrestling. But I mean to think the UFC doesn't have that ability to control and manipulate fights I think is ludicrous because, again, you look at boxing and you can point to 150 years of boxing and see all sorts of corruption. All sorts of fixing, all sorts of the things that Silva's alleging, and it wouldn't surprise me, but it'll probably shock the hell out of a lot of fans because they think, again, they live up to those cliches. They're gonna go out and try their best, and they train so hard, and they're gonna, you know, do their, you know, live again, live up to all the cliches. And I just don't see why people think the UFC's clean when they know, historically, you can see corruption in boxing from top to bottom.
1: Just to stay on the UFC for a second, it, it's fascinating to me because it is one of the most popular emerging sport forms that has come out in, you know, the past couple decades. And I, and you know, when you see it as an organization being sold for four billion dollars and then you just think that's just representative of the clean money, the money that's on the surface, you know, what they can make with pay per view and with, with fights selling tickets and all that stuff. And. Merch, it's just crazy to think about the money that surrounds it in the black market. Ah. Well, also with the UFC, too, is, you know, they used to have like things like the fight of the
5: night bonus, which they would have whatever, like six fights on the card for a particular night, and yet they would guarantee like $50,000 to whoever, whichever match was declared in the fight of the night. Now, if you're like one of the preliminary fights and you're only getting paid a few thousand dollars for that prelim fight... Wouldn't you maybe go to the guy you're fighting and say, Hey, look, we can split fifty grand if we're the quote unquote fight of the night. Why don't we go out there and give him one heck of a show? (laughs) You know, maybe, you know, the first round you win, the second round I win, and the third round we'll fight for real and see who wins this thing. But if we put on a good enough performance, we're gonna get some extra money. And I mean, those are the little ways that a league can manipulate their own events but do so without really dictating what happens. You know what I mean? They don't have to have that direct you lose, you win type of thing. They can just put little things out there. They can just tweak things enough that you get a better and more exciting event than perhaps you would have if everything
1: was on the level. That's a great point. So, Brian,
2: one of the things that we've learned in the, in the course of uh, exploring your work and in this interview is that – This is not a victimless crime. You said it earlier in uh, the show, and we just want to reemphasize that because, as you said, the money that people spend, even on a street level, is funneling upward into an institutionalized system that is involved in drug running, arms trafficking, racketeering, loan sharking, prostitution as well, which brings us to um which brings us to a a relatively personal question. Uh do you or have you ever felt that your life was in danger or threatened uh as a result of your investigations into these scandals?
5: No, I've never really felt personally threatened, like physically threatened by anything that I've researched. Um but I know like career-wise <laughs> what I research isn't the best uh best road to take. I mean, I've dealt with, you know, the likes of ESPN and I've dealt with uh, Sports Illustrated and a lot of the other media outlets. And I know my name has got to be on certain lists within each one of those organizations, the media organizations, that's who I deal with. And I'm sure I'm, I'm on the NFL's radar and the NBA's radar and some other places as well. And I mean, I've seen, I mean, just from a personal aspect, I know I've been kind of censored. By the media. I mean, when I released Larceny Games through my publisher, which was Feral House, Larceny Games was based on over 400 FBI files that I was the first one to obtain. No one ever had gone after those files until I got them. And I wrote this whole book based on those files, which revealed literally Hall of Fame athletes accused by the FBI of either betting on their own sport or even betting on games in which they play, which should be huge news. And when the book was released, ESPN, Yahoo Sports, Sports Illustrated, HBO Sports, 60 Minutes, and a few others all contacted my publisher and wanted to copy the book to review it. And they all got the book, and not one of them did anything with the book whatsoever. Nobody reviewed it. Nobody said this is the worst book ever written. Nobody followed up on any of the information that I had uncovered. Nobody did anything within the sports media regarding this book except the New York Post. And the New York Post ran a story based off of one of the files I'd uncovered, which said that in the early 80s, members of the New York Knicks were shaving points as a favor to their cocaine dealer, and they made it kind of a oh, wow. back page thing, and that went viral. It, it was funny because the uh, author who wrote the piece for New York Post sent me a text like at 7.30, said, oh, it's online now, and like a half hour later, said, oh, you know, Sports Illustrated picked up on this little post. And it went viral, and it's amazing because you can look online now. You can go to Google and, you know, search, you know, New York Knicks, Shaving Points, Cocaine Dealer, and you'll see that article or the, you know, link to that article on all sorts of outlets except ESPN. ESPN never touched it because ESPN is the primary broadcast partner of the National Basketball Association. And they just simply wouldn't cover the story. Despite the fact that it was like 30 years old, they still wouldn't cover it because of that association between the league and the network. And, I mean, I've felt that pushback in many other aspects of my little writing career here in investigating fixed games because the major sports leagues and the major sports media outlets are really intertwined and they don't want this sort of information getting out there.
2: Yeah, and uh, just to drop a sidebar in here as we're wrapping this up, uh, we're big fans of your work on Vice Sports uh, which uh, w- which we thought it was a very good thing to see this message spreading to other places. And we would like uh, for our listeners who are interested in this to uh, come check out your work in some other venues, or uh, we do a section sometimes called Further Reading. Uh, where would you point interested audience members to learn more about this phenomenon?
5: You mean besides my own work?
2: Uh, your own work as well. Uh, we have Larceny Games, uh, The Fix is In, and we also have A Season in the Abyss. Is that correct?
5: Yeah, those are the three books I kind of wrote regarding the subject of sports and corruption. Um, otherwise, they could go to my website, which, like you said earlier, was thefixisin.net. Um, writing I did before, you can find some of it on the com, And like you said, Vice Sports um, has it on their website as well. Another guy who's really – there's a couple things you can check out too if you're interested in older things. Um This guy by the name of Declan Hill, he's really the prime investigator into match fixing and corruption within soccer. And Declan Hill is – he wrote a book called – I think it's simply called The Fix. And it involved him really getting involved and getting up close and personal with the guys who are fixing soccer matches. And that's a great work um as well on the subject.
1: And the last thing here, Brian – for all of these sports fans listening that are concerned about this stuff and kind of maybe for the first time really realizing how uh, how rampant fixing is, is there anything we can do?
5: Well, I think the only way to influence a sport or a sports league is to not watch, I and mean, that's the hardest thing to do if you're a fan. Because I think the only thing that really affects the owners and the leagues themselves is money. And if their ratings drop and they sense that things aren't going their way financially, then they'll change things. Because I think one of the reasons Major League Baseball has somewhat, and I won't say a lot, but somewhat gotten better at like drug testing and their steroids within the game is Barry Bonds. It's because Barry Bonds was such a jackass when he broke Hank Aaron's record and he broke the you know, season-long home run record that fans kind of rebelled against him because they Realized that even if the sports media and the hallowed baseball writers of america wouldn't come out and say this guy's using steroids Fans realized this guy ain't on the level and I think they kind of rebelled and kind of rebelled against baseball at that time And that did cause some influence within major league baseball to say, oh, you know what? Maybe we should try to fix this problem because the fans aren't happy and if they're not happy, they're not coming to games They're not watching games and we're not going to make as much money So I think the only way to really affect the leagues to get them to change the way you might want them to change is to affect them in their pocketbook, and unfortunately, the only way to do that is to not attend the games and not watch the stuff on television because that's the only thing they know.
1: Man, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and hanging out with Oh, no problem all thank you guys having me I'm kind of sad that interview ended. Yeah, I wish we were still there, talking with Brian, learning about all these things. Like, I kind of want to learn so much to where I can start making money gambling. Careful, buddy. Careful. What? Why? Because you got real nice fingers. I'd hate to
2: see him smashed by a hammer. Oh, you hate for fresh fingers to be an ironic nickname.
3: Maybe. That's why. It was foreshadowing. No, but seriously, Brian was such a nice dude and knowledgeable and... Really generous with his time and willingness to talk about this stuff. And I was kind of, uh, I was interested in the fact that he does not feel particularly threatened or, you know, intimidated by, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these organizations. Uh, but at the same time, it's probably not the most popular opinion to
2: have if you want to get a job writing for Sports Illustrated. He did, he did make a really good point where he said, I, you know, like you just heard earlier that he didn't feel physically threatened, but he did feel like his career Mm-hmm. was, uh, he felt as though he were getting blackballed at certain points. So we hope that you have enjoyed this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we know that for some of our diehard sports fans out there, it might seem like your team is an exception to the rule. We don't have hard proof of all of this happening, right? But if you want more information, uh, the books that Noel mentioned in the previous episode and then we mentioned throughout the interview are great reads and they're worth your time because th- this guy's a really talented writer as well.
1: Yes, and I think the concept that Brian puts out about point shaving uh, and the point spread really, really makes it, at least for me, a little easier to see how this kind of stuff could happen kind of under the noses of everyone. To where they're small things, you know, little death by a thousand cuts rather than one guy going in and throwing a whole game overtly to where you can just tell watching your television.
2: It's definitely something to think about. And I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about you, Matt and Noel, but I'm not going to be able to look at large sporting events the same way.
3: Yeah, I mean, if I ever watch a second football game, (laughs) it's going to be really difficult for me to, you know, enjoy it. In the way that I did the first one that I watched. Oh, when, man.
2: Okay, what you were watching with an ulterior motive, to be fair. What
3: are you getting at, man? I don't have ulterior motives. I am what you see is what you get. Yeah. That's my nickname. You yeah. Know, what you see is what you get, Brown.
2: They, uh, you know what they say about me? I'm an open book in a meadow. On a sunny day. Nobody says that about you. Everybody says that except for you guys. Well,
1: you the, the problem is there's nobody around. The meadow is just completely empty. It's just Ben's book open in the middle of it. Okay. All right, guys. <laughs> we don't all have to agree
2: on our analogies for each other or our comparisons. Uh But we do agree that... If you like this show, uh, you are in luck because we make so much other stuff as well. You can see uh, you can see videos that we do live or uh, I guess not live pre-recorded canned canned. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say dead um, <laughs> on our Facebook and our Twitter page. We are conspiracy stuff at both of those. And we have an Instagram conspiracy stuff show. Sorry, conspiracy stuff was taken. Furthermore, if you'd like to check out every audio podcast we've ever done, you can visit our website stufftheydon'twantyoutonow
1: What is it? Stuff they don't want you to Okay, I got it. It's a lot. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it is, but it's worth your time. Everything we've ever done is there.
2: And now it's time for the the most important part of the show, really, where we ask you for your ideas. This is your show as well and our best ideas come from listeners like you, specifically you. You listening to this. Nope, nope, not the person next to you. I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about a vague you. Specifically, your ideas. We want to hear them.
1: And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode,